I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander, of it, wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. There's an outline that I want to put up for you. This is an outline of the book. I'm, I love outlines. They are real helpful. I think we study the, the book. In fact, my pastor, and when I was living in Louisville, he uh, was in his office and he said, son, you need to memorize every outline of, uh, of every book in the Bible. And I was like, yeah, that's probably a good thing to do. Um, haven't done that yet, but, um, but anyway, here's an outline. We are in chapter four, be loyal. Paul is writing, of course, Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. It is, this is his last will and testament, his second imprisonment, at least his last imprisonment because he knows that his death is imminent. It's a pretty sure thing he's about to lose his life and he's writing to his son in the faith who he loves very much encourage him to be loyal encourage him to be willing to suffer encourage him to be orthodox be true to the teachings of the scriptures and we're in chapter 4 be preaching that's the title of the message this morning be preaching you know, there's a, a lot of bizarre ailments that we and conditions that people suffer from in this world. One is a called aquagenic urticaria. Probably didn't pronounce that correctly, but it's it's a an allergic people that have allergic reactions to water. And there's 30 cases in the world. People just have casual contact with water and they break out in hives. Some of your kids wish they had that, right? They wouldn't have to take a bath. Um, there's another condition called congenial analgesia. It's a genetic disorder that prevents the body from sending pain signals to the brain. So like a heavyweight boxer, that would probably work out real well. Your body doesn't tell itself that you're enduring some stimulus is causing pain and so of course you can understand the 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 problems that may cause if you're up against a furnace or touching something hot and your body doesn't know that you're being burned those are kind of odd i don't have too many odd things 
But when I, um, I was, we were on stateside one year, and I came home, and my, uh, the guy that was living in my house at the time, a good friend of mine, he had a lot of clothes. And if you look at pictures of us when we were overseas, uh, especially the first three or four years, I would wear the same clothes over and over again. You just didn't wear a lot of, you didn't change clothes and have a bunch of different outfits where we lived. We lived in a third world country. People were poor. And so I just kind of wore the same clothes all the time. We'd wash them a little bit and wear them and, and uh, move on. And you think, well, that's kind of nasty. I didn't wear deodorant for a decade, for 10 years, just because the people there didn't either. So went in Rome, you know, do as the Romans do. I didn't live in Rome, but, you know, um, but I was, I was home, and this, this friend of mine gave me this shirt that he had dry cleaned. It was a laundered shirt, and I put it on. It was a short sleeve shirt, and we came to church, and then we went to my Aunt Glenda's for a family reunion. And it was dog days of summer, about 95 degrees, and so we were outside, and you know, it was hot, and I had that shirt on. I didn't think much about it because where we lived, it was subtropical climate. It's hot all the time. But the next morning, I woke up, and it looked like I was wearing a shirt. In fact, my skin was raised where I had my, this, wore this shirt. And so I was kind of like, oh, this isn't a good thing. And so I called my doctor and got an appointment and went up there and had this, you know, big shirt on. And, and I took my shirt off when my doctor came in the, the examining room. And she, she's a friend of mine. She says, Shane, I've never seen anything like that. And then she would walk up to me and she would touch me. And she was kind of like she was, she's like, I've never, and she kept saying, I've never seen anything like that. And finally I was like, quit doing that. You're scaring me. <laughs> and so I told her kind of what happened. And then what happened through a series of having that allergic reaction, now my body equates the sun with that chemical that was in the dry cleaning. And so now I'm allergic to the sun in simple terms. So that's why you see me wearing pants in the summer, and I wear long sleeve shirts, and I wear big brim hat. Yeah, I don't, I don't get out in the sun. If I do, and I go out, we go to the lake, and we do all the things. I just wear a hat, and I wear a long sleeve shirt, and if I go with shorts on, I wear a lot of sunblock on my legs. Don't look at me like that. I'm not a freak. It's just, it's just you know, it is what it is. Um, but today in our text... Paul, he is, uh, he, he's going to inform Timothy of a, a syndrome that's, that's kind of odd and, and terrible. It's, it's itchy ear syndrome. And what happens is it occurs when folks can't tolerate hearing truth, but instead they find preachers to tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear, God's Word. It, it's not only a problem in Paul's day, and it was running rampant, in first century Palestine, but it's a problem in Tipton County. So we're going to look at that syndrome here in just a moment. But the context, as we saw last week, Paul is teaching his son in the faith how to live and flourish in a world where evil and persecution are increasing. And if you remember, he said you need to find a good example. And Paul was a good example for Timothy to emulate. Paul says several times in the New Testament, in his epistles, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. We need good examples, don't we? And I'm so thankful we've got a lot of wonderful, godly people here in our church that our young people can emulate. He also taught Timothy that don't be surprised when difficulties arise. We live in a a sinful world. 
And most people don't love the Lord. And so when you suffer persecution, when you when people oppose you, when people oppose the kingdom, don't be surprised. And lastly, he, he taught Timothy to continue in the Word. And the Word is God's Word. It's not man's Word. It's inspired by God. It's originated from God. And it's profitable in many, many ways. So if it is so helpful, why would we, why would we not preach the Word when given the opportunity? And so that leads into our first point. Because the Word... Is so life-changing. Preach it every chance we get. That's our first point. Look at verse 1. Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Paul says, I charge you before God, before the Father and his Son, who is going to ultimately judge all when he returns. Preach the Bible. Paul is supported by the Father. He's supported by the Son, and he makes this command. And it says that he's to judge the living and the dead. And, and, and the Father has given the Son that responsibility, that job, if you will, to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. And we see that elsewhere in the Scriptures. John chapter 5, verse 22, 23, and 27. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. So he's charging him, and it's pretty serious. It's kind of like a courtroom scene. The Father... The Son. Made me think about back in the old days when we have in court, they would have a Bible and you put your hand on the Bible, right? And you, what, did, what, did, what would you say? You remember? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God, yeah. So it's this real solemn, real serious deal here. Paul says, I've got the Father and the Son backing me up. Preach the word. Because the Son is going to return. It says, by his appearing in his kingdom. There is an imminent return factor here. Christ is going to return, and he is going to be the judge. There's a sense of urgency. And he also talks about his kingdom because Jesus is going to return. He's going to judge, and then he's going to establish his kingdom. Revelation 5, 11, 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And you could continue to say, and ever, and ever, and ever. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to judge, and he's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. So because of that, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. And this is emphatic statement. It's kind of like if, if I told Seth, hey, clean your room because the neighbors are coming over. And my neighbors are here. That would be a statement. Hey, we're, the neighbors are coming over for dinner. Hey, clean your room. That's, that's, and he should obey, right? But if I say, well, Seth, I need you to clean your room because the neighbors are coming over, and the neighbors, he's also my boss at my job. 
I carry a little bit more weight. But what if I said this? I said, Seth, I need you to clean your room because our neighbors are coming over, who's my boss, but also the landlord, the person who owns this house. So we got to get things tidied up. That's an emphatic statement. It's as if Paul reached out and grabbed Timothy's shirt and brought him up to him and said, Preach the word, son. We do that because the word's profitable. We saw that last week. I mean, how does a young man keep his way pure? What's the answer? Students, come on, guys. By living according to your word, right? Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, he's praying, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. See, the word is profitable, so we have to preach the word. We have to preach the word. That's why I tell the, uh, the, the guys that run the funeral homes, we tell them, hey, when you, when you have someone who doesn't know a pastor, and that happens a lot. That happens a lot. More and more and more all the time. Hey, if you have somebody, they don't have a pastor, please call us first. And the reason we do that is several reasons. One, it gives us an opportunity to serve people in our community. We get to meet families and love them and, and serve them. Secondly, we know people are more receptive to the gospel when they're faced with their own mortality. Thirdly, we take that opportunity to share the gospel because the gospel is the power of God. It's how those of you that are born again, that's how you were born, that's how you're born again, is because you heard the gospel. And fourthly, it's because, to be honest with you, a lot of funerals, the gospel isn't shared. And I don't understand that. Preacher, they get up and talk about the person and say sweet words, and it's real beautiful and sweet. Don't share the gospel. Might be 100, 200 people there. Oh, don't miss the opportunity. So when they call, if I can't do it, and Morgan, he can't do it, and I'm going to call Jim or Chris or somebody, hey, who, who, who wants to do this funeral? i got other pastor friends of mine, and, and we pass it on to them sometimes too. Let's take advantage of those opportunities to, to preach the word. Look at verse 2. It says, be ready to share in season and out of season. And what does that mean exactly? In season, out of season. It could have many meanings here, I think. We understand that many different ways, very broad, maybe, whenever the opportunity arises. Whenever the opportunity arises. We all, everybody always says, as a pastor, as a preacher, have a, have a sermon in your back pocket ready to go all the time. Tell Morgan that, never know. I don't miss very often. I get up here when my voice is about gone, and I just don't miss a lot. But every now and again, last minute, hey, buddy, you're up. I can't be there. I've got a stomach virus. I have the flu. I have COVID, whatever. Yeah, that happens. One time I did get caught off guard. I was in, um, I was in college. My roommate, he was a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor, and we helped each other do ministry a lot. You know, we'd teach at retreats for one another, and we helped each other. And I don't know why. I don't know why I wasn't at Beaver, because usually on Wednesdays and weekends, like some folks who come home every weekend for a college student, I came home almost every weekend because I worked here at the church. 
But for some reason, I went to his church this Sunday, and and so I walked in his church, never been there before. It was kind of you know smaller church, and met the pastor, and he was real real sweet. And he said, "Hey, I want you to come up and sit on the platform with us." I'm like, why? He said, "I just want you to sit up on the platform with us." That's our tradition. We have visiting pastors. I'm, I'm fine. I'll just sit out here. And he insisted, and I didn't, know how to, I didn't know how to tell him no. And so I set up on the platform. First time, I mean, I walk in, and five minutes later, I'm on the platform. And the church had those, those uh, king throne chairs that we had at our, our church, too. You know, all the old churches have these look like thrones. I don't know where that came from. But I'm sitting in this kingly throne on the platform facing the congregation. And he gets up and he welcomes everybody to the church and he said, introduces me. And then he turns it over to me. Pastor Shane's going to give us a word today. And I was like, oh, oh Lord, help me. Help me. Um, hey, I vowed that would never happen ever again. And it is not to this point. I'll never get caught like that again. I fumbled through something, but it wasn't much. That'll never happen to me again. In season, out of season. It also denotes that we should do it even if we don't feel like it. When is a funeral convenient? Yeah. The funeral, it never comes at a, at a convenient time. It's always, you know, yeah, do it. And when you don't feel like it, when you don't feel good. It seems like when I do those things, and it may be somebody want me to come to school and do something or, or, or do a chapel or something like that, and I just don't feel well. It seems like when I do it on those days, that's when the Lord just shows up and uses me and uses his word. In season, out of season, it could just imply willingness to be interruptible. It also implies that we should preach the word over the long haul. Think about some of you I'm looking out here seeing faces. You've been in church a long time, and you've heard a lot of sermons preached. How many sermons do you remember? Some of you are like, oh, my goodness, I can't remember anything. You don't remember last week. That's why we have small groups, and we review those things, right? Yeah, you don't remember too many sermons. Maybe one or two or three or four or something. I don't think it's just because your preachers, your pastor is a terrible preacher. Although I do lay an egg occasionally, I think it's just that's the way that it works. We don't remember things specifically, but we know the Lord's using the Word to sanctify us over time. Scripture gives us the wisdom that leads to salvation and equips us for every good work. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. Scripture reveals to us everything pertaining to life and godliness according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If a man doesn't explain and apply the Scriptures, his preaching may be entertaining, may be inspirational, but it's going to lack life-changing power. So what we have to do week in and week out is we have to preach the word. We can't take the stake of the word off the table and replace it with donuts and bonbons. We need the meat of the word. 
we can't digress to the spirit of the age. And what is that spirit in the churches? It's like a therapeutic spirit. Tell people how to fix their problems like that. That's influencing that, that teaching style and model and way of thinking is pervasive and it's rampant. Here at our church, we, we have a lot of, we have some faults and we have to grow. I have to grow. But in our worship, we're going to sing truth. We're going to sing the word. And we're going to do, do, we're going to make an attempt at preaching the word. We're going to pray the word in our small groups. Talking about small groups, that, that's really important part of our church. We're going to teach the word and we're going to pray the word in our small groups. Because the word is profitable and it changes lives. And it's the only means to real life change. It's the word of God. What does preaching entail? Look what he says. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. He says to do that with complete patience and teaching. And we saw... This reprove, we saw it last week. Remember what it means? Remember what I said? See? Case in point. You don't remember, you don't remember last week. Yeah, tell people what they shouldn't do. It's a, a form of correction. Someone lacks character, or there's a wayward action, a way of correction. You reprove them. It says rebuke, and this is a little sharper term, to admonish sharply. It's not just pointing out a fault by telling you uh, don't do that. It's, it's, it's telling you stop it. You've got to stop that. This is going to ruin your life. This is going to ruin your witness. Please don't do that. There's a firmness there to this admonition. It's, it's helping people to hate sin. Teaching others you should hate sin. William Barclay says, Any pastor, any teacher whose teaching tends to make men think less of sin is a menace to Christianity and to mankind. So what do we need to do? We need to come on Sunday mornings. And we've talked about this. We've talked about this a lot. Church isn't just... Coming Sunday mornings. That's just not all there is to church. That's just a part of it. But we need to come because we, we all need the Word of God to poke us and prod us in the right direction. Because when the Word is applied to our consciences and it bears down upon our hearts and our minds, then, then I'm doing my job. Morgan's doing his job. Chris is doing his job. On the other hand, if you enjoy correcting and rebuking, you're most likely not fit for the ministry. Kind of balance there, isn't it? But if you don't do it, you'd be guilty of dereliction of duty. So Morgan, our, our job is to do it in a way that's palpable, that's receivable. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Exhort is like we said last week, teaching and correction in chapter 3, verse 16. 
Warren Wiersbe says he should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. That's what a pastor's job is. Martin Luther says, we, we, to the proud we give the law, to the humble we give grace. Some people need rebuke. Some people need encouragement. And so we have to always try to do that rightly. If you encourage those who need rebuking, you assist them in continuing on in their sin. But if we rebuke those who need encouragement, we'll discourage them. So someone said a, a pastor's job is to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. So what do you need? You comfortable? You need to be rattled, need to be rebuked, need to be prodded? Are you disturbed? You need to be encouraged. You've come to the right place. That's what we want to do. We want to teach the word want to reprove rebuke and exhort it says correct and teach with complete patience and teaching New Revised Standard Version says with the utmost patience in teaching like that on Wednesday night we, we studied 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 15. And, and this text referenced an evangelism situation when you're with around unbelievers. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it. How? With gentleness and respect. Yes, yeah, not gruffly, right? Gentleness and respect. Yeah, you share with the loss, you share it gently. And then you teach the church patiently. Yeah. Why do we need patience? Because sanctification, it's progressive. We're born again. And when we're, we're born again, when we come to a place in our life, we recognize that we're sinful and we recognize I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm, I'm rebellious. I'm selfish. I'm in... Um, I'm at enmity with God. God is opposing me, and I'm opposing him, and that's bad because when I die, if I died today, I would be in hell. You recognize that, and you repent. You say, I don't, I don't want to live my life like that. I'm not living like that anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus, and I'm trusting what he did on the cross for me. You're repenting, and you're believing. I know that Jesus died for me, not just the world. He died for me, and he was buried on the third day, he rose for me so that I could be made right with him. God, I want to be made right with you. When that happens, when you repent and believe and you're born again, you begin this relationship with God. It's just like for the first time, hi, I'm Shane. You say, I'm Morgan. We, we're introduced to one another. That's what happens. It's a miraculous thing where you're introduced to the Father, the creator of the universe through Christ, his son, by repenting and believing. And our lives are forever changed. I'm home. I'm home. Why? Because we sang the song, I'm home. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. God lives in us. That's what happens when we're born again. He gives us his Holy Spirit. We have a relationship with him. We're not at enmity with him. We're not at odds anymore with him. We're, we're born again. We're brought into his kingdom. So when that happens, we begin our 
journey. But the thing is, we're all in different places when we come to the Father. Me, I, I had my tail whooped a lot when I was little, right, right there on them steps. My daddy taught me right from wrong. My mom and daddy taught me right from wrong. And, and I was in church every time the doors were open. So my, this moral compass, it was you know, kind of fixed. But for some of you, you started a different place. You didn't grow up in church, and you're maybe it was just rough life, rough background. You, don't, you didn't know anything about the, the Word, and you, you, when you come to faith, you start at different places. It's okay, but you start somewhere. But the sanctification process, it doesn't just happen like that. And it's amazing how the Lord gives me victory over some things very quickly as he brings it to my attention. But some things, oh, I've been struggling with since I was born again back in 1990. Sanctification of the process. So we have to be really patient as pastors. We have to be patient. We have to teach with patience because, yes, sanctification, it's a lifelong process. So we stumble and fall and we get up and we stumble and fall and we get up. We stumble and fall and we get up. And you need attaboys. And I don't give enough attaboys. I just don't. I don't do that with my wife or my kids. I just don't. But I need to do that. Give them more attaboys. Let's, let's, let's go. Come on. Let's follow Jesus. It's okay. Repent and let's, let's move on. Remember who you are in Christ. Let's move on. Right? So we need to be real patient. But th- another reason we need to be real patient in, as we pastor and preach the word is because is not everyone's going to listen. Look at verse 3 and 4. Not everyone's going to listen. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. Itchy ear syndrome. That abnormality, that condition, that ailment. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Preach the word in season, out of season, because folks don't want to listen sometimes. Sometimes people want to listen. Sometimes they don't. Folks want to hear things that aren't true because it makes them feel good. Like, you know, you're inherently good. You're really good. You're a really good person. Down deep, you're a really good person. Is that true? No, that's not true. And if you're here today and you're thinking, man, I'm a pretty good person. None of us are really good people. Now, compared to me, you're a really good person. Compared to the person beside you, maybe you're a good person. But compared to the Lord, none of us are good. You You deserve the best in life. You deserve to be happy. I'm just not very happy in my situation. So that must mean that I need to get out of it so I can be happy. Isn't that what God wants for me? The only thing wrong with that statement is what? It's wrong. Yeah. God wants you to be holy. wants you to be like him. And you know what? He might have you in that vice, in that really difficult place to make you like him. And you just want to escape so you don't have to suffer, don't want to have any problems. And now, okay, I'm, I'm okay. But you might have missed what God had for you. Kind of like the little 
the little caterpillar. It had to struggle, struggle and struggle, right, to get out of its cocoon so it, become, it could become the beautiful butterfly that God intended for it to be. You have to do what you feel is best for you. Yeah, this makes me kind of, I don't know about that statement. I don't think that's right. We understand we have to make decisions. Sometimes the Bible's not real clear what we have to do, so God gives us grace and liberty, and we make those decisions. But sometimes we, we, we want to hear things that aren't true because they make us feel good. And there's a lot of things like that being preached out there. A lot of books at a bookstore that are full of things like this that aren't true. And the problem is, if it's not truth, it's not going to change people. And it seems like for every, you know, gospel-preaching, Bible-preaching church, there's several more that just want to tickle your ears, you know? This, this itchy-ear syndrome. I wonder if we could write our congressman, we could get a vaccine to help, help us with that, eradicate that issue in our culture. You hear our church, and, and we want to preach and teach the word, and we don't do that perfectly, but that's what we want to do. But the thing is, maybe you're visiting our church, and you're trying to figure out where the Lord wants you, and you're like, I'm, I need to find a place for my family to settle. We'd love to have you here, but our church isn't for everybody. And if you'll ask me, I'll tell you I know some good churches here in our area that you could go to that you could try. People in our culture, they don't desire to hear gospel preaching. That's why when you drove here this morning, most people's cars are still at home. They're not in churches. They're at home. There's an aversion to preaching in our culture. And I'm thankful that we're not responsible for the increase. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. He gave the increase. All we do is preach the word and teach, be faithful, and God does all the work, right? Yeah. Lastly, verse 5 through 8, let's finish well. Think about Paul's life. He was consistent, long-suffering, and committed to preaching the word. He did it. He did the work of an evangelist. Look at verse 5. Be sober-minded. Sober-minded. Be serious about the things that we need to be serious about. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul had put his hand to the plow, and he hadn't looked back. And people of the world would say, what a waste. Incredible mind climbing the corporate ladder in the synagogue. What an incredible Pharisee. He had a great career ahead of him. He threw it all away. What a waste. But Paul knew better, didn't he? He said he put his hand to the plow and he didn't look back. And he's telling Timothy to do the same thing. Give your life to the gospel ministry. Don't look back. 
How does Paul describe himself? Look at verse 6. Notice he doesn't describe himself as a, a prisoner, unjustly sentenced, does he? I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. You remember in Philippians chapter 2, he says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. He's trying to figure out, you know, there's a chance here I could lose my life. Is it better for me to go and be in heaven, or is it better for me to stay here with you all sinners, knuckleheads? He's like, ah, I think I'll take heaven. He's like, ah, no, i got to stay here. Y'all need help, so I'm going to stay. I think that's what the Lord's going to have me do, stay and help you guys. Well, guess what? His... He's about to leave, and he's about to get that what he wants, right? He's an offering. He's an offering being poured out to God. He mentions this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Familiar text. I'm a living sacrifice. Here he says he's a drink offering. It's being poured out. And if you, if you know much about the offerings of the Old Testament, several different kinds. One was a drink offering. It was poured out at the base of the altar. You can see that in Exodus 29, 40. But Paul's life is coming to an end. His ministry is coming to an end. A few years earlier, writing again to the letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verse 17, He's thinking about his possibility of him dying. He describes it as being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of his faith. There it was assumed he could lose his life. Here, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, it's, it's, a, it's definite. This pouring out of his life will be an offering of worship to Christ. He had given his life to the Lord it wasn't taken by this pagan ruler. And he had been pouring out his life for years for the sake of the cross. When your life is over, will people be able to say he poured out his life for Christ's sake? What will they say? Man, he poured out his life for the Lord. Paul had been faithful. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And much could be said about this. But he didn't say he won. He didn't say he did everything perfectly, but he said he finished. He hadn't given up. He had persevered and been faithful to preach the good news. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, writer Hebrews, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We all have a race to run, don't we? We each have our own race. It's similar to others. Our, our goal is the same, and the destination is the same. We want to be with God, like Jesus, glorified with Him forever and forever and forever. That's where we're going. But our race is a little different. And some of us, we have a, a few yards or a few miles to go. But for some of us, we just start. Some of us have a, a long way to go.
And notice Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, we've seen that already, the judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This crown of righteousness. If you remember, think about the Greeks, think about the Olympics. They had the garland that they wore when they won a race. That was something that was greatly prized. But this crown here is a, a permanent, eternal righteousness. Because we're clothed in righteousness. That's what Morgan prayed in her confession time. We are. As Christians, if you're in Christ, if you're, if you're in Christ you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's how we can have a relationship with the Father. Even though we're sinful in our behavior, but in a positionally, we're clothed in righteousness. That's how we can have a relationship with the Father. And what we're trying to do is get you know, our conduct to grow into our position. It's called sanctification. But yet there is this permanent righteousness that we're going to experience in, in, in glory with the Lord. And we'll be with him for all eternity. And we'll be able to worship him as we are. Not being distracted, but as we are. 1 Peter 5, 4, When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. And that's what Paul looked forward to. And he's telling Timothy, that's what you can look forward to as well. Press on. Because the word is so profitable. Preach the word. Be patient. It's a long, progressive process. And some people aren't going to listen. But you continue on. Lord willing, like me, you'll be able to say, I finished the race. What about you? Where are you in your ministry? I know this is, this is kind of geared towards pastors, but it's for all. Look at the last... And not only to me, it's talking about the attaining this crown of righteousness, getting this crown of righteousness. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's kind of a funky, the wording there is for all those who love Christ and look forward to seeing them. So all of us can have this crown. It's not just for the preachers and pastors. No, all of us. Because we all have ministry. We all have ministry to do if we're born again. It's not just for the pastor. And that's one, one of the things we really want to teach and, and you really understand. Ministry is for all of us who are in Christ. It's not the pastor's job. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Have you fulfilled your ministry or, or are you fulfilling your ministry? And you might say, well, I don't even know if I have a ministry. I'd love to talk to you about that because we all have a ministry. It may be in your home, maybe at work, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe here in the church, or all of those places. Yes, all of the above. Are you doing what God created you to do? Are you influencing those in your sphere of influence the way God wants you to? Paul says, I have finished the race. What about your, what's, what's this race look like for you? Does it look like a rat race? 
Your life looked more like a rat race, running to and fro, chasing everything, but maybe what God wants you to chase, you're chasing temporal pleasures, you're about making money, doing the thing, having fun, all about fun, fun, and what's, the, what's your life about? I don't know. Paul says, I've finished the race. Are you, will you be able to say that when your day is done, when your time's done here on earth? Will you receive the crown of righteousness when you part this earth? And maybe you're here and you think, I don't even know. That's not, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to have a crown of righteousness. Then if that's the case, I want to encourage you to repent. Turn from your sin and trust the work Christ did for you and be born again.